Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Sunday, November 20, 2022. Welcome to the 40th episode in this series from Midas Touch and 5-Minute News called The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can subscribe to this show as audio as well as video, in addition to my daily 5-Minute News podcast on iTunes or wherever you get yours. Joining me today is Lee McGowan, a.k.a. Politics Girl, the host of the Politics Girl podcast and the viral breakfast rant videos, She's a huge star on TikTok, and now she returns to the weekend show. So great to see you again. Oh, it's great to be here, Anthony. Thank you for having me. So we last spoke um, probably about six months ago, and a lot has happened in the world of <laughs> politics since since then. Yes. And uh, I don't really know where to start. I guess we should probably start with the, the big news of the week, which is that on Friday... Uh, The Attorney General Merrick Garland named a special counsel to oversee the Justice Department's investigation into the presence of classified documents at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, Um, and uh, as well as key aspects of a separate probe involving January 6th, the insurrection, and his efforts to undo the 2020 election. Now, this is the equivalent of um, we saw with Robert Mueller and the and the Russia investigation. This is the attorney general saying, OK, I'm done here. I'm going to hand it over to somebody who is a special prosecutor, somebody who is, you know, super skilled at this. This guy, Jack Smith, is he's uh, no amateur. I mean, this guy is as, as good as they come. Do you think that off the back of this, Trump might eventually end up in an orange jumpsuit in Guantanamo Bay or are we just going to have to you know put up with a with him becoming president again Yes, no, listen, I don't think Trump is ever going to end up in an orange jumpsuit in Guantanamo Bay. I think at the end of the day we have to accept the fact that if Trump faces any repercussions, which I have always believed he will and I think he will, um he's in such a special position that he's never going to end up in an actual prison or jail. Uh, He's got secret service for the rest of his life. It just doesn't make much sense to put a president in an actual prison. So he'll probably live his life out at Mar-a-Lago on house arrest is really what we're looking at. But I actually do think that there's no way this guy skates. (laughs) There's just not. I know that people think, oh, he's going to get away with everything. It's just, he's not. What we're looking at now with this special counsel is exactly what needed to happen. This is exactly the type of scenario in which a special counsel regulation was meant to be applied. You know, what they've done is they've taken the Justice Department proper, who was nominated by the sitting president and chosen by the sitting president, out of the equation. The the special counsel still answers to the attorney general, but it they've made it separate. So there is no... Um, illusion of political will or being pushed by the president. They're, they're completely separate 
to begin with. We only got confused that the Justice Department and the president worked together during Trump's because presidency. Of, <laughs> yes, he, but he, that is not how it's supposed to work. That is not how it's yeah. supposed to work. That The attorney general is not the president's private lawyer. The attorney general does not work for the president. The attorney general works for the American people. And the special counsel is just one more step removed from someone who was appointed by the sitting president to, in this case, investigate a prior sitting president. So I think it is the most appropriate choice. People were worried that it would take longer for things to happen, appointing a special counsel, but this guy, Jack, seems to be hitting the ground running, and they don't think it'll slow down um, anything at all. The criticism, though, from the Republicans, who, of course, now have control (laughs) of the House of Representatives, is that it is a partisan move, and that it does have Joe Biden's fingerprints all over it. And, you know, from their perspective, they are using it using it like an equivalent to Putin jailing Alexei Navalny. They're saying, well, you're just trying to put your political opponents in jail. That's literally how they see it. From the, how do, how we're do we talking about kind of this, deal with that criticism? Well, listen, we're going to hear that criticism no matter what we do. You can't win for winning. You know, like the Republican House, whether they're in power or not in power, is always going to be the most hypocritical group of people you've ever seen in your life. I mean, Talk about a witch hunt. What they're doing right now, they haven't even gotten into power yet. And they ran on inflation and they ran on crime. And the very first thing they're going to do is open investigations into Joe Biden and his family. Like if you want a witch hunt, if you want people that are targeting their political enemies, they are the party to look at. I mean, we had Hillary Clinton investigated right up to two weeks before the election. And no one remembers that all the emails we talked about, there was only three in 30,000 that could have been compromised. And they were all declared not to have been secret. So but that's we detail. keep forget- I mean, they people don't care forget- for the It doesn't detail, matter. Do the thing is, is that these people are always going to be giving us partisan uh, talking points. And, you know, they're going to be talking about Hunter Biden until the end of time. So <laughs> what we have to do and what we always say is that if we want to live in a world where there is a rule of law and one party has already abandoned the rule of law by trying to overturn the election, by having an insurrection, by taking, you know, secret documents home with them and then being like, what? I had them. What? You know, like they're already one party has already decided that they're totally willing to abandon the rule of law. Then the other side either has to also abandon the rule of law, which only serves the party that wants it gone, or they have to follow the law so meticulously that it makes most of us feel physical pain to watch how slow it's going because they have to dot every I and cross every T and make sure they did everything exactly by the book. Are there always still going to be people complaining? Of course. But are they going to do it exactly as it should be so that there is, you know, less things to complain about? Yes. And that's going to take a longer time and there's always going to be complainers, but they're doing it the way they should be. It's not partisan. It's law. And this guy, Jack Smith, I mean, mm-hmm. he has been prosecuting in, in The Hague. Yep. He is somebody who he's done political crimes. He's done uh, fraud. He's done all sorts of things that are, you know, very much in Donald Trump's wheelhouse. So he, he's clearly the right man for the job. And as you said, it doesn't look like he's going to slow, you know, this is going to slow down because of him. In fact, if anything, it might speed up the process because it means that Merrick Garland is now, you know, not having to do stuff himself and it's been delegated. Yeah. I mean... Do you remember how much hope we all held out when Robert Mueller was given the job? And everyone was like, well, this is it. He's by the book. He's done it before. He's the most experienced. He's, he's a, he might be a conservative, but, you know, he's tried both, uh, you know, both teams before. 
and and that turned out to be a bit of a damp squib because of the way that it was presented and it got hijacked by by Bill Barr who kind of paraphrased it and changed the narrative and you know it was very disappointing and i and i think i'm sure that robert muller is probably just as disappointed as the rest of us because yes. all of that work basically went to nothing we yeah, still have donald trump going russia 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 and uh, you know the reality i mean we even had a russian just a week ago admit that he meddled in the in the election he actually admitted it and still it doesn't hold water for the republicans i know i i think the thing is is that you know we the problem with repetition and the problem with propaganda media and the problem with repeating a lie over and over and over again is that to a certain group of people, it will always appear to be true. And the problem is, is that just saying something enough times doesn't make it true. It just doesn't. There's facts and there's not facts. Russia did meddle in our election. So you can call it the Russia hoax all you want. But the facts are they did meddle. The facts are Donald Trump did break the law. The facts are from the day he was um, sworn in, he was breaking the law with the emoluments clauses. You know, like the man has been a walking criminal since day one. And I think that the country just wasn't truly prepared for someone like Trump. I, I don't think they were. I think we did a lot of things on a handshake. We did a lot of things on the way we've always done it. We, we did a lot of things that we thought would be held up by people of um, morals and candor and standing and that would be a certain amount of a moral character we could count on from the American president. And then we had someone that had zero moral character and didn't mind breaking the law. And all of a sudden you realize that a lot of the things you count on are not actually written down laws. They're just uh, expectations that every other president before has done. Um, And so everything changed after the Donald Trump years. And I think it will continue to change moving forward. I'm glad that they put Jack Smith in charge. I think that's exactly the right move to make. And it seems like the pace in which he's planning to go forward and just focus solely on this one case is exactly what we should be doing. And I know he thinks he's going to work completely independently and move everything forward expeditiously and go wherever the law dictates and the facts allow. And I, I, I would want that for anything. It doesn't matter if I'm a Democrat or a Republican, like this entire thing that we were just talking about with, um, the Republicans and talking about investigating Hunter Biden. I think what they have misunderstood is that Democrats are okay if you arrest Hunter Biden, right? If Hunter Biden has committed a crime... Yeah, yeah, jail him. Okay, jail him. You know what I mean? Like, we're not trying to protect him, you know? Did Mm. the man work with nepotism? Yes, welcome to a certain subset of society. That's how it works. Did he capitalize on his last name? Absolutely, but so does... You know, a fair amount of the people who run our world. But he also wasn't in the administration. At I mean, I said on the, I said yes. the other week that it's like it's like investigating Tiffany Trump and saying that Tiffany is, you know, in some way involved in in shady dealings. You well, know? I mean, it's her greatest crime was getting married. Well. <laughs> Listen, I mean, this that is came always, out wrong. I this didn't is look. She's done very well for herself. She married very well. Yeah. She knew what she was getting yeah. into. Um, yeah. But. I think the thing that's always so astounding is that we can't stop talking about Hunter, who, as you said, had no um, no place in the administration. There's no 
evidence that points to the fact, after how many years of talking about it, four years of talking about it. And investigating. And, and he's investigating been under investigation like for there, ages. There's, yeah. a, there's a judge overseeing Hunter Biden's case right now, a Trump-appointed judge. His father didn't come in and get a new judge for his son. He hasn't touched his son's case. So we're already in a position where Hunter Biden is being investigated. And at this point, I kind of feel like, okay, we're, we're four years into this. If you don't have anything yet, you're going to struggle. Now we're talking about who's paying how much for his art. And I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, like this is hardly... Okay, look into it. Like, sure, look into it. Yeah. But I uh, highly doubt that his father's making deals based on who's buying Hunter's art. Now, we can say that people made deals with the Trump government based on who stayed in his hotel because we've seen a ton of people from the Qataris to the Saudis to the Israelis coming and staying in Trump Tower and spending hundreds of millions of dollars giving it right directly to the family and then expecting rewards. But and we just heard about two deals with Saudi Arabia, with the Trump family. And, you know, this is it's like it's all connected. And there was a report a couple of days ago that said Trump made something like one and a half billion dollars during his presidency because he hadn't, you know, divested from his business interests. Well, exactly. And then, of course, if we're going to keep talking about first kids, we should talk about the first kids that actually were in the administration. You know, yeah. Ivanka was a special advisor to the president. She had a staff at the White House. Jared was in charge of everything from peace in the Middle East to like, you know, the PPP loans. I wouldn't put that guy in charge of getting the pizzas. No one would put that guy in charge of anything. And then suddenly he ends up with $2 billion from the Saudis to invest when we all know he's terrible at investing because he entered the White House years, $600 million in debt from a business in New York. Right. And then the couple themselves, Ivanka and Jared, came out of the White House $640 million richer from patents and deals with China and deals with Japan. So if you want to talk about first kids and how they capitalized on the name of the president and the president's position and they worked in the administration, then I, I feel like we're focusing on the wrong kids. But like I said, you can't put hypocrisy on a shelf when it comes to this particular Republican Party because that is all they have. Anger, hatred and hypocrisy. I kind of feel like the Trump family wouldn't know how to go straight if it was given oh. to them on a plate, right? Like their, their, their natural, their yes. natural way of doing business yeah. is corrupt and it's underhand and it's illegal and it's tax evading and it's all of these backroom dealings and dodgy dealings, even from like the you know the number of floors of Trump Tower and all of, all of the kind of. All the stuff, yeah. the university and the stakes and the ties. I mean, everything. There's always a story connected. Oh, I know. And you know, Michael Cohen's very good at talking about this stuff. And I, and I just, I sometimes think that it must be, they must have no peace, this family. Like, at what point do they just like flop on the couch and Netflix and chill and have, and have nothing to worry about? I just think they must be looking over their shoulder the whole time. Yeah, it's a hustle. It's a constant hustle. But I, I think you've been taught it. I mean, you're looking at the third generation of this kind of behavior. It's a yeah. taught mobster-like behavior. How can you undermine in it? I think um, the person that puts in perspective the most is Mary Trump, um, who was Trump's brother's child. And uh, and how her father never quite fit into the Trump mold, the, what was expected from the father. And he was basically turfed out on his ear with nothing because he just wouldn't toe the family line. I mean, it's... A little bit like the Republican Party, he wasn't a little corrupt bit like enough. the mob. He was not corrupt enough. He did yeah. not have the stomach for the way the Trumps were to behave. And, you know, Trump came into the presidency with a million people who had done business with him in New York for 20, 30 years saying, this guy's a complete con man. He's a, you know, he's, he's 
ruined millions of small businesses, this kind of thing. I mean, the people that catered his wedding to Marla Maples, he just mm. got to the end of his wedding and was like, I'm not going to pay but you. I, I think, you know, I like, think they idolize the mob, though. You know, like I, I feel look, like they enjoy being the mob. I've heard a few things recently, something that Donald Trump Jr. said. Remember, he came out with a phrase and the interviewer was like, well, what, what's that? And he's like, oh, that's like a it's like a mob phrase. And then Trump on stage the other day said the great Al Capone. And I said, who says the great Al Capone, right? Al Capone was a criminal, right? And and, and, and broke so many people's kneecaps. Who refers to him as the great? I think they idolize the, the, the mob. They, they enjoy being a crime family. It's actually like it's a badge of honor. Well, I think um, it's the same way that they idolize um, dictators and authoritarian yeah. leaders. What you're really yeah. idolizing is the type of person that gets to live their life without consequences. The type of person that gets to live their life without answering to anybody. The type of person who gets to live their life where they make the rules and they change the rules depending on what mm. they want to be doing. And that is mobsters, that is dictators, that is authoritarians, that's the kind of leader he wanted to be, where it's like, what I say goes, you know? Shoot these protesters in the knees, you know? Like that kind of thing. And just hoping that they would do it because that's what he wanted. That's the sort of drive to power that, that Trump wants and that his children were happy to enable and um, that his wife, you know, his third wife is, uh, I guess, happy to turn a blind eye to. So this or is, this she is, how is they complicit, know. you know, she, she is complicit. quite complicit. And I've, I've heard in those uh, secret tapes that were released of, of Melania <laughs> talking about Christmas decorations or something, she really came over as a quite a vile, very right wing character like not she wasn't she didn't look like or sound like she looks and I, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting I just want to talk for a second about a final thing with Merrick Garland's announcement he actually said that Trump announcing his candidacy for 2024 is part of the reason why they're announcing this this um, special counsel right now let, let's just talk for a second about the timing of Trump's announcement as well as the terrible kind of speech you know that kind of lazy walrus speech that he made um he, that he was you know i love kind of guessing when he's on script and off script and in like when i'm watching it i say out loud in my living room oh he's off the script let's see where he's gonna go now and then he has to like find his place again um that speech went on for an hour and 12 minutes, I think. Yes. The, new, the news networks cut away after about 25 minutes, including Fox. They were like, okay, we're done with this. And it went to Hannity, who was basically trying to protect Trump by not airing the speech. It was, it was hatred of America, talking about an America that I didn't recognize. You know, he was saying what a, what a terrible place this is and how two years ago it was perfect. And I'm thinking, surely even his supporters are sitting at home listening to this, looking around and going, it's not really as bad as you're saying it is. I don't Do you know. think that I don't know if even are. the base might have been like, uh, I mean, because people in the room were trying to leave and security yeah. stopped them. I know. That was quite a scene with the people trying to leave. You know, here's the thing. The, the speech was scheduled for 30 minutes and he spoke for, like you said, over an hour. And I think he goes off script more often than we actually think. Um, yeah. Maggie Haberman, who's carrying water for him still for no reason that I can discern, um, said, you know, he's really coming into himself here. He's getting stronger as he speaks. He's even ad-libbing. And I thought, he's always ad-libbing. Like, it's 
a constant yeah. ad. He's happier ad libbing. He's he happier. Hates the he's happier ad libbing, which yeah. goes back to the, what we were talking about about not answering to anybody. You know what I mean? Like he's staying on script for as just as limited amount of time as he can, and then it's all him. It's him without consequence, right? And I think the problem is is that we have allowed propaganda media and people like Sean Hannity sort of trying to cover for him to give him an illusion of uh, power and smarts and brilliance that he does not have. And I, I wonder if, if it'll be interesting to watch what happens since Murdoch has said he's not following Trump into this next election because so much of Trump's success came from the backing of Fox and the Post and uh, the Wall Street Journal and all these media um, touchstones that Murdoch owns. And it's not that Murdoch isn't behind what Trump would offer. It's that they're no longer convinced he can win. So they're ready to move on to the next right-wing authoritarian type person that they think has a better chance of winning. It's not that their morals have changed or they suddenly grew a conscience. It's that they want to win and they watch the midterms and they were like, ooh, maybe he doesn't have it anymore. And they're pulling and they're going a different direction. Not a different uh, direction philosophically, just a different direction as far as winning. And I think that the church might be doing the same thing. And I find that fascinating because they were just so hell-bent on him. And now they're like, were we being used? And they're just going to switch over and do the same thing with DeSantis. And I find the whole thing sort of mesmerizing. I don't know if the general public, I, I wonder this because I have a family members, very close family members who religiously watch Fox and are absolutely devoted to Donald Trump. And I was watching the play out of this midterm elections and how everyone decided to blame Trump. Um, and, and I thought, I wonder how they feel watching this because they are so sure he's the Messiah. And when their media, which is their sole source of information, turns on the Messiah, where do they go? You know, do they follow where the media tells them to go? Or do they think the media is now lying to them because they're bad mouthing the Messiah? And so I'm, I've always been heartbroken that I can't personally convince them to think another way. But I will be. You're wasting your time. I, I know. Mean, I know. We've I all know tried. Which is why I don't we've do it. Tried. But I, yeah. I, I, I focus on the non-voters as much as possible because there's so many of them. Um, mm. But I, I'm interested to see what happens if where you have been getting all your information suddenly turns on the person you thought was the pinnacle. But this is what see. will expose the difference between an authoritarian dictator-style character versus, on the Democratic side, a political party with a, with a progressive ethos and an interchangeable leader. Right. And I think, it, you know, the problem that America has been dealing with is they have fallen in love with an individual, a, a, a singular man who happens to be the most flawed person in human history. But he's maybe the that's guy why they like the pedestal. Him. I mean, honestly, maybe yeah. that's why they like. They him. see their own flaws in him, maybe, and it makes their own kind of vile behavior totally excusable. But you're right, switching out that that Messiah for another Messiah because there can only be one God, right? Yes. So, so how how do you do that? I mean, how, how do, do you do that? How yeah. do you change that person? It'll be fascinating because you can you can keep up with the. Democrats are evil narrative. That has not changed. But how do you switch your Messiah? How do you go from Jesus to Muhammad and Mm. have no one notice, right? That, (laughs) 
That yeah. will be interesting to watch. The, 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 the pastors will be like, oh, well, it turned out that we, we got it, it turned wrong. turned out he wasn't anointed by God. It was actually, yeah. you know, like, I, I don't know what you do. And I, I, yeah. I will be fascinated to They'll say it's Brian, it not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I get it. So let, let's just talk for a second about the, um, you know, announcing your candidacy two years out. I mean, I'm, I haven't been around long enough to know if that is early. It sounds pretty early to me. <laughs> well, Would that normally happen? Listen, in America, yes, it's become a thing to do because as soon as you announce, you can raise money, right? I mean, Trump was never right. actually – he announced he was running for 2020 like at the inauguration in 2018, right? Like it was four years yeah, before. There was there because, was cash to be made. Because there's cash. It's a grift, right? So mm. even if he doesn't actually plan, because I've, I've been thinking for years, but now he's fighting with Ron, so I think it'll be interesting. But I thought for years he'd say he was running, you know, raise money for a while, and then turn, I don't want to give them any ideas, but turn his um, benevolence on a successor, turn his benevolence on someone like Ron DeSantis, but with the caveat that when Ron DeSantis becomes president with his support, Ron DeSantis then pardons him for everything he might have done, right? So it's like a deal. He gets to stay sort of the kingmaker and Ron DeSantis gets to be president and he also gets, but he has at least enough now uh, state charges that a presidential pardon wouldn't help him. So now I think he's just fighting with Ron because his ego's in the way. And I think that that's great because I don't think Ron is this... uh, killer that everyone thinks he is i don't think he can win on a national level and but i don't think he has in the america chutzpah. doesn't it it's like it's like lindsey graham saying that you know i'm done with trump or trump's the worst or you know even ted cruz this tape of ted cruz saying you know would never choose this guy this guy is a, is a narcissist and and yet all of this video evidence of them is seems to be kind of of no value to them in the in the modern day yeah now there is the situation where the the main Republican Party, including Mitch McConnell, are basically turning their backs on him at the moment, aren't they? They're, they're, nobody will commit to saying, yes, you know, if Donald Trump is the nominee, then we will support him. Well, certain they're, members they of are, the House are doing it. And that's what's going to be so interesting in the House. And I'm sure you and I will get to talking about this new Republican House, which is just going to be the slimmest margin. But, yeah. you know, there are a fair amount of Republican House members who are all in. For Donald Trump, you know, who are all in on the insurrection, who were all in on the insurrection on the day. The Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Jim Jordans, these guys are full team Trump. Yeah, uh, I mean, Matt Gates got reelected. I mean, he's, you know, he's there too. Uh, I, <laughs> How? Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot that I question that happened in Florida. But, but just yeah. in general, I mean, there's quite a few things that from the Republican um, election that are, are quite astounding. You know, I think we have to be honest that there are still so many people that are, we did very well. The Democrats did very well. Uh, we defeated a lot of election deniers. We have some semblance of accountability for a party that has turned so deliberately anti-democratic. But as of now, we have something like 164 Republicans who denied the 2020 election, who won their midterm races, who are going to be in yeah. the House. Um, and this is very dangerous, isn't it? Very I mean, let's dangerous. Be, let's I mean, be serious in, about this. Incredibly they're, they're, dangerous. We've got election deniers. We've got we've got people who are you know Putin sympathizers. Mm-hmm. We've got people who are conspiracy theorists, mm-hmm. and these people now have 
control of Congress? Or will well, I mean, let's be honest. They have the numerical control of Congress, but yeah, with- but they can organize these hearings. They're gonna yes. they're gonna have a hearing for this. They'll try and impeach Joe Biden. Yes, they'll set up you know committees. They'll waste so much taxpayers' money. They'll waste so much time. They'll do investigations into stuff that nobody knows what they're talking about. They'll find nothing. And they're just like treading water for two years because they don't want to spend any money and they don't want to do anything for their people. Yeah, but also they want to keep the rage machine up. I actually think it, 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 it might backfire on them. I think that the American public will get tired pretty fast of watching a group of people like you said, tread water for two years and just cause a yeah. lot of bubbles to come up, you know, just like thrashing in the water for two years is exhausting. Yeah. With Jim um, Jordan at the front. Of the judiciary, of, of the judicial of the committee. Judiciary like, committee. I know. Uh, it like, just, what? it feels like we're living in the freaking upside down. You know, all I can think <laughs> is, you know, perhaps with a special counsel being, um, freeing up Merrick Garland, we might find that there are a certain amount of sitting members of Congress that actually end up in investigations. I would not be surprised in the next couple of years if a couple of them have to leave because they end up in jail. And then with the House being so close, I don't think we should be so sure that the Republicans are going to hold that House for two years. I really just don't think we should be so positive of that. There's a lot of people in there that have done a lot of bad things. And Merrick Garland has been working very diligently, very quietly on a lot of of elements that happened around January 6th. And we know that there's a lot of sitting members of Congress who had a role in that. So I will be interested to see if if they all end up in their positions. But I also think that whoever the speaker tends to be, because people are already coming for Kevin McCarthy's job, he doesn't even have it yet. It's going to be hard to, as I said earlier, to herd this particular group of cats. Like there are people that just got elected in New York you know, in upper New York state who are very centrist, classic Republicans. And then there's your Marjorie Taylor Greens and your Jim Jordans. And if you have to get everyone to agree, you have to get all 218 members to be the majority vote. Good luck. Like that's going to be very difficult. Like they don't have that skill to whip up the votes like Nancy Pelosi did. And they don't have that buffer to lose a couple people. They just don't. And I'm, I'd like to see Marjorie Taylor Greene work with a classic Republican from New York State. Like, that's going to be difficult. It's very conspiratorial. Not all of the Republican members are conspiratorial. There's a reason Joe Biden keeps talking about the good GOP, the classic Republicans, the reaching across the aisle. And people go, what are you doing, man? Reach across the aisle to these yahoos? Like, how can we do that? But there are still some Republicans who can be reasonable and centrist and Lisa Murkowski-ish, you know what I mean? And it's going to be hard for Kevin McCarthy or whoever takes the job to wrangle all 218 of them to get a majority vote. And even if they get a majority vote, it goes to the Democratic Senate. We have seen what happens when something passes in the House and goes to the Senate when it's opposite. It's not going to get done. You could impeach Joe Biden. You could all get together and impeach Joe Biden for wearing aviators or whatever. And then it gets to the Senate for a trial and they're like, no, thanks. We don't want to do it. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's not just the go, time it's just such a wasted waste and the of money. money. Yeah. And the, yeah. And the tragedy is that, you know, poverty is rife in America and homelessness is rife in America. And I was talking uh, on last week's show about automation and about AI and about the future. These are the things that other countries now are working on. Yeah, they are, are working to to mitigate, but also to embrace these new technologies. 
And I haven't heard any of that from anybody in in these administrations. And I, I just want to mention Joe Biden very quickly because he did play a bit of a blinder, didn't he? In ter- that's a very British phrase. That is a very British phrase. Of, <laughs> it is. I apologize. He he pulled off quite quite the the miracle. Um, and I think people have underestimated Joe Biden a lot. But there is a lot to be said for somebody who has been in the Senate and in you know in this even in the White House. For 150 years, literally. I mean, he, he there's nothing he doesn't know. Right. And I think that the right-wing media give him bad press because, of course, he is going to be 80 in a few days. And, you know, that is quite old. But it doesn't stop him. You know, for all of his faults with his speech impediment and, and everything else, doesn't prevent him from having excellent strategy and being, a, a you know, a, a one of the great kind of, as you say, reaching across the aisle, one of the great diplomats yeah. of the White House. He's and, one and of the this last... this win, the mid, I was just saying the midterm win, pretty much for, for Democrats across the country, is unprecedented for, for, you know, the first term for a president. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think Joe Biden is continually underestimated. I think he's continually maligned. I think people will look back on his time in office and be like, geez, that guy got so much done. He knew what he was doing. Like you said, there's something to be said for knowing how the whole system works. I mean, he knows how it works from the ground up and he's still learning. I mean, I was at the White House two months ago, a month ago, and I met with him. And and it's because he's still trying to reach out to younger people. He's still trying to find yeah. us where we are so we can connect with us and find out what we need to know and keeping the lines of communication open. He's a septuagenarian. He doesn't need to learn about young people's things, but he wants to know. He's continuing to grow and learn and try. And I think that goes back to, you know, what's also happening with Nancy Pelosi. You know, she's, what, 83 years old? She's just stepping down now, not leaving her job. She's just going to be a sitting member of Congress now as opposed to the Speaker. But this is one of those perfect examples where it's not about age, it's about ability to adjust to the times. And Nancy Pelosi adjusted to the times, Joe Biden adjusts to the times. Yes, they are creatures of a different era, they are creatures of Washington, but in a way that they understand what they're dealing with, that they can use their gravitas and their moral structure to lead us, rather than just take up space and collect a check. Um, And it's the opposite of the Make America Great Again movement, isn't it? Because that movement is all about 1976 or 1952. It's about building walls. It's about segregation. It's about, uh, you know, removal of women's rights. It's about, you know, the breaking, breaking that, uh, you know, not allowing people to love who they love. It's like it might as well be. 60 years ago. Yeah. And, and there is nothing that is modern or progressive about that. And they're very proud of that. And, and this is what I was saying about AI and automation. It's like there is stuff happening in the rest of the world that, that Republicans are so behind on because they, all they seem to care about is Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah, I mean, because... who even uses a laptop these days? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Don't you? But I love my laptop. But no, listen, okay. here's the thing. Like, it doesn't... It, they are living in a different reality, which is why they pitch yeah. a different reality to us on their television programs and their radio shows and through their talking heads. They are talking about making America great again, which implies... Wh- white was, again. Exactly. It applies a time when it was great. And there is no time in American history, zero time in American history where it was great for everyone. There is a time in American history where it was absolutely great for white rich men of means. 
period. And so that is the time they're talking about. And that is a time before women's rights, before civil rights, honestly, before the New Deal, when people had workers' rights, right? We are looking at this crazy resurgence of kind of uh, American barons and these people that had gross amounts of money and could treat their employees however they wanted to and treat women however they wanted to and treat minorities however they wanted to. I mean, Well, you're describing the founding fathers. That, I mean, really, that too, but also like the robber barons and the people that made yeah. the railroads and the people that made our newspapers. And, yeah. you know, at least those billionaires used to like, you know, build museums and art, you know, <laughs> things to, yeah. to put their name on. And some, now some infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. Now they're not doing that. Now we, they, we have the Elons of the world and it's just a new aristocracy. It's a new robber baron age where some people have a voice and the rest of us work for them. And I don't think there could be a bigger contrast between the two parties than that. One party is supported, held up by and financed by those robber baron types and they serve them. And the other party is attempting some sort of uh, multicultural, pluralistic democracy that works for everybody. And that's much harder. It's harder to mm. do. We're going to get it wrong. We're not going to make everyone happy all the time. But we're trying. We are absolutely trying to do it. And but is it not futile when half the voters don't care for democracy? I mean, I'm getting a bit tired, really, of of even the left kind of pushing, you know, we need to maintain our democracy. It's all about democracy. And I don't think anybody on the right now wants that system. That system is of no use to them because they can't really manipulate that system. They can't really win. They don't want people to have a vote. And and that's probably why they did so badly in the midterms, because a lot of people were like, well, what's the point in voting? Because they've been told by a whole bunch of, of candidates that the vote is foolish anyway and is, is corrupt. They'd much rather have a dictator in the form of Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis who basically, you know, a little bit like President Xi Jinping or even Putin with his 22 years in office, who just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and, and maintains that status quo. I mean, is that not a tragedy that like half the voters, not half the country, but half the voters are effectively completely nonplus about democracy as you and I know it? Well, yes, it is a tragedy. I mean, to answer your question simply, it is a, absolutely a tragedy, but it's also a tragedy of information deficits and a tragedy of um, deliberately confusing people so they vote against their own best interests over and over again. It's why I say I don't spend most of my time trying to reach out to people who have decided that it would be easier to just be told top down what to do, who prefer an authoritarian way of life. It's the same kind of people who defer to the Bible, you know, which is why those two groups go together so well, the evangelicals and the Republican Party as it is today, because it's a lot of top down um, leadership. Here's what the book says. Yeah. Here's how you behave. This is what you do. You yeah. do this. You're a good person. The end, right? There's no critical thought to that. That's just, I'm following the rules and here I go and everything is fine. And I end up in heaven, right? In this way, it's the same thing for government. It's not a lot of work on your part to just do exactly what you're told. And a lot of people don't want any work on their part. It's too much effort. Like you just said, I'm well, so tired. Well, they don't tired. even want to go and vote. I'm so tired. Because going to vote is effort. You know, yes. that, 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 especially if there's only one polling place in the whole state, you know, it's like, that there is this reluctance, and, and maybe Republicans have shot themselves in the foot, 
Because in the process of making it more difficult to vote and because they're trying to reduce the number of black and brown people voting or minority groups or whatever it is, they're actually disenfranchising their their own people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I would love that for that to be the case. You know, I'm not a Democrat. I don't get to vote, but I am pro-democracy. And I care vehemently about people's rights and individuals' rights. And, And yet America, which is, you know, you're an immigrant the same as me. We came here because it was the free world. We right. came here because freedom is like the word that is, you know, waved and it's it's written everywhere. I mean, no one talks about freedom in, in England where I'm from. And I'm sure in Canada they don't mention no. it that much either. We don't. We don't. But for some reason, it seems to be the very fabric of, of American culture is freedom. And yet they, these turkeys are voting for, for Christmas. Yeah, they keep, they're voting against freedom every single time. And I think that's why we yeah. need to focus on expanding the message to people who don't vote, expanding the message to people who think it doesn't matter, expanding the message that the country could be what we tell everyone it is. The country could be what we sell in the brochure and this shining city on a hill and this land of opportunity, the, the country we move to. You know, land of the free, home of the brave, right? That's where we came. We came to be a part of that. And we're not that. Once you're immersed in America, you go like, wow. I mean, this is like when you see the brochure of a, a resort and you go, look at this gorgeous beach, yeah. look at this beautiful hotel. And you show up and you're like, yeah, uh, and there's a construction site. Yes, right exactly. The there's like yeah. needles on yeah. the beach and like ants in your room. That's a little bit yeah. like America. And that does not mean we can't clean it up. That does not mean we can't clean the beach and paint the walls and make the hotel what it looks like in the brochure, but it means it's going to take work. And a lot of people look at that and go like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that work. But I believe, and I believe this last election showed us, that there are more people in America, even voting people, taking non-voters out of it, there are more people in America who do believe that we can do the work, who do believe in what we have. And look at these freaking Gen Zs, right? These kids are kids. They are kids. Yeah. 28%. They changed of, the game. They changed the game. 28% yeah. of them came out. Two years from now, how many more of them will be available to vote? My son will be available to vote in the next midterms. He's 14 years old. Can't wait to mm. vote, right? Mm. So open-minded, so believing in democracy. But also this generation are digitally literate. Yes. And that's the difference. Very you know, helpful. This, this, right. To be digitally literate, to be able to tell the difference between what is true and what is false, what is propaganda and, and what is factual. It, it's essential. And, you know, the Republicans that I've come into contact with, both virtually and in person, they are digitally illiterate. They cannot tell that an article that is on Rumble is not is not written by some quack doctor. Is not you know the the, the real deal. And and this information warfare is really at the heart of all of this, and will be with future elections. And yes. this is why Elon Musk, who you know, when I interviewed Ruth Ben Gatt the other day, she you know she wrote the book Strongmen. She yeah, said that amazing. he is a, a Russian asset. You know, he is. He is doing Putin's bidding. He is spending $44 billion buying Twitter and will either turn it into a right-wing platform or will shut it down. Yeah. And, and, you know, that is – and that is, would be very disappointing because it is one of the few town squares that the United States has. I just want to talk about uh, Pelosi stepping down and Biden and their age. Do you think it's important going forward as we discuss Gen Z and the literacy – of the digital literacy, that we have younger leaders. You know, do, do you think how different would the landscape be 
if the likes of you know Mitch McConnell and his various necks and and you know Joe Biden walking the wrong direction after a speech i mean if none of that happened and we had Pete Buttigieg and his you know no nonsense or Gavin Newsom or any of these characters who really you know they they they've got 40 years on these guys yeah look i am not um I'm not ageist in any way in that I believe, like like I said, I believe Joe Biden is doing an absolutely bang-up job. I don't think yeah. that anybody else than Joe Biden could have beat Trump in 2020. I believe there's something perfect about Joe Biden because he they just can't, the opposition just can't get their hooks into him for anything specific. He's not too young. Mm. He's not gay. He's not black. He's not, th- you know, like mm. he's just a white straight man who's nice. Well, and he looks has- like a Republican from the from a distance. You'd think he's, that he's he was a Republican. He's the quintessential American president, right? So it's very yeah. hard to paint him with a brush. I think he was exactly right for the moment. So who am I to say, oh, well, if you're over 80, like, forget it. because You know what I mean? Nancy Pelosi. Did you see those videos of her during the January 6th attack? I mean, they keep putting more out. The January 6th committee, she was poised and controlled and centered and trying to get back to doing the job. And like, no panic. And calling the National Guard whilst eating a beef jerky. She's incredible. And she's 83 years old. So I'm not going to be in a position to say, no, step down. No, you're too old. Do I think that there is something to be said for a younger generation? Yes. My father... One of the most brilliant men I've ever met was a litigant. He was, he's sharp. I mean, one of the smartest men you could ever meet. He's 80 now. He's still brilliant, but he's slower. He's a slower mm. version. And I don't think he would want to run at this age. He would say, oh, no, no, like I, I, I've passed my prime. It's not like I couldn't sit in a board and be, have lots to say, but I shouldn't be in the spotlight anymore. And it's I just think, reaction times, isn't it? it I it's, think maybe honestly, that's what it's reaction time, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, but it's also, that's why I'm so excited about Nancy Pelosi doing what she's done, right? She's a historic mm. figure. She is the most powerful elected woman in U.S. history when she became the speaker in 2007. And then again in 2019, because we forget that it wasn't until 2020 that we even had a female vice president. You in England, you guys have had leaders, prime ministers that were women. We still have not done that. 1979. Yeah, hello. We still haven't done that. They've done it in Canada. We still haven't done that. So when Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House and third in line, it was such a big deal. And because Mm. she did that... We have so many other women in power. When she came into Congress in 1987, there were 12 Democratic women in all of Congress. Now there's 90, right? And that is because she showed us the path. She showed us the route. And while she was there, she spoke out for bills that championed women, for advancing women's causes, for speaking up for a voice that hadn't been there before. She is amazing. She's amazing. And she's the perfect example of Age is not the point. Attitude is the point. Are you ready to lead? She is still ready to lead, but she knows that her time has come and she is stepping back for the good of the party, but she's not doing it by herself, right? She's stepping back. Probably Hakeem Jeffries will step into her place. Hakeem Jeffries is Gen X like us, right? He's 52. It's not like he's 27 years old or 36 like (laughs) Pete Buttigieg, but I'm psyched for Hakeem, right? He is ballsy and brazen and his 
pinned tweet on his Twitter account is when he went at Clarence Thomas for being such a hater, right? And he was like, you hate on civil rights and you hate on women's rights and you hate on reproductive rights and voting rights and marital rights. Like, why are you such a hater? Why do you think you can just get away with it? Because you're shameless? Like, is shamelessness your superpower? That's his pinned tweet. Do I want that guy running the Democratic caucus? Hell yeah, mm. I do. But so It's very does powerful, Nancy. though, isn't it? Those, yeah. those types, of, that type of language. But if I play devil's advocate just for a moment. Sure. If someone like Hakeem had been around for the last five to ten years, do you think that that would have been a better opposition to the Donald, the Donald Trump uh, um administration and to this whole kind of extremist movement. Do you think that, you know, because I love moments when Nancy tore up the speech after the State of the Union, a few kind of great moments. But American politics is in a terrible, terrible state. And you could argue that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and these people have presided over this period of American political history. And and maybe if we had people who had more of a voice and didn't play so much by the rules because the other team isn't playing by the rules, that they could have been more successful in securing impeachments or, or whatever, you know, whatever kind of came their way. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Because yeah, no, I, you know, I, 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 and I appreciate the position. But here's what I would yeah. say. Everyone wants to see fire with fire, right? Like you want to see, but there was no alternative to Donald Trump that was exactly the same vibe that could give it as good as he could, right? There, Donald Trump also had people working with him like Mitch McConnell, you know, who was Mm. just quietly doing the Federalist Society's business, just stacking the court, stacking the court. There was a lot of things in action. And I think I was personally not thrilled with Chuck Schumer being the majority Senate leader. And then I watched him absolutely work Mitch McConnell with the infra- the Inflation Reduction Act and the yeah. CHIPS Act. And There's so the, much we don't see. I'm telling you, they were like, we yeah. are voting against these burn pit things for soldiers. Ha ha, right? And they were like, ooh, let's put that in the public. And the public was like, who votes against helping veterans who have been burned? Yes, yeah. And then they were all like, well, well, we'll come back and we'll vote for that again. And Chuck Schumer was like, yeah, you'll vote for that again after you vote for the CHIPS Act. So then the, to yeah. save face, they had to vote on something they didn't want to vote on. And then he had already told them he was getting rid of the Inflation Reduction Act. And then he brought it back and they couldn't stop him. And they got that passed too. So Chuck Schumer outmaneuvered Mitch McConnell. So to say he was old and he didn't have it, I think he did have it. Now, Mm. would I like to see Chuck Schumer step down at the same time as Nancy Pelosi? Maybe. Because maybe it's just time for new leadership. Sterny Hoyer. It would be interesting to have a different landscape, wouldn't it? Yes, and I think that's where we're at. A breath of fresh air. Steny Hoyer is stepping down as the current majority leader of the Democratic Party in the House. Yeah. James Clyburn, who's a huge, huge figure in the Democratic Party and really is credited for giving um, Biden his push during the primaries. He's House Whip. They're both in their 80s and they are also stepping down with Nancy Pelosi. So we're going to have three new young members of the Democratic caucus stepping up. So I'll be interested. And yet to no see change it. on the other side, right? Because, you know, <laughs> the likes of Rona McDaniel are staying in their jobs and Mitch McConnell has been reelected. I mean, they, they, they don't want to change it, which is why, in my opinion, they will select Donald Trump as their as their leader. They will have him fight the election. I don't think DeSantis will get a look in. And I think that they'll default to what they know best and they will lose. I think so. And so, 
in a way, you know, I'm kind of happy that that will happen and that democracy will prevail. But the next two years are going to be miserable. Oh, a mess. It's going to be an absolute mess, Anthony. And I think we just have to keep in mind that democracy is a mess. That's what happens when you let a lot of people's voices up come at the same time. You're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like it is very hard to get a melody happening with that many voices, right? That's why people love authoritarianism. They love dictatorships. It seems simple and easy and I'll make a decision and we'll get it done, right? But those those types of governments never actually succeed. They succeed for a while, but they always end up getting toppled. You know, it's like looking back in history when you're like, oh, would it have been nice to be the king of England in the 1500s? You're like, no, everyone was trying to murder you. And like, you had to have a son right away. And like, your cousin was coming to get you. That's what it feels like. It's like this constant battle to keep your place. And I feel like the beauty of democracy is that it really is supposed to be a growing progressive thing. And the Democrats really are showing us they are the party of progress. They're not all progressive, but they are capable of growing and changing. And they are allowing the whole image of the party to change now. And it's time, right? It is time. They had the old guard protect themselves from Trump 1.0. And now they're going to have the new guard be here for Trump 2.0. And they've already learned from that. And I think that'll be fascinating, fascinating to watch. But also, like, that's the party that believes in little d democracy. That's the only party in this country that believes in it. And when people say, but we need two parties, Lee, we can't just have one party. We don't have one party. Look at the Democratic Party. It's like this umbrella, right, where you have your Joe Manchins and your Lincoln Party, you know, Lincoln Project guys, Um, And then over here you have your Nina Turners and your Bernie Sanders and your AOCs. I'm sorry, those people are not in the same party. I mean, they are. And that's why it's so hard to market the the Democratic Party. Right, and so you have to market. In comparison to to the Republicans, where it's dead simple, it's it's no to abortion, it's no to interracial marriage or whatever's coming down the line. It's very, very simple for them. And yet the nuance of, of society and the nuance of life and the nuance of politics... Is the is the Democratic Party, and it's a bit like you know here in California, uh, the mayoral election was just won by Karen Bass, who is a, a black woman. Uh, she was up against Rick Caruso, who is a white property developer. Well, we've had white property developers in, in administrations before, and it does not work very well. Right, and the Californian people voted for her. Um, she's a career politician, but there is something about people that give their life over to civic duty. Yeah, I don't think she's a career better candidate. Yeah, I don't think she's a career politician. I think one of the beauties of Karen Bass is that she's a career public servant, right? She chose to go into public service, starting with social work, right? And then she built a community coalition, which was like for homelessness and drug abuse and this kind of thing. She built it from the ground up. Then she left it and thought, I can help more people, That is still running. That company 30 years later is still running. She went and she ran for state government and she thought I can help more people. Then she took classes at night to get a master's in social work so she could do her job as a state senator better, congresswoman better. Then she was like, I can take this even bigger. So she went to federal government and she worked there and she got so much done. And then she looked back at her city and was like, oh, they're not doing so great. Like I... I'm going to leave my guaranteed job because she would have been reelected in a heartbeat. Everyone loves her to come back to run to try and help the city she loves, right? And that is different than a career politician. A career politician doesn't move around. They stay in the same job 
And right. that is what they do. A career public that's servant. A, that's a Mitch McConnell. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. And it's, you know, the senator that's Mitch McConnell's second in command from South Dakota. The guy's never lived in South Dakota. He just lives in Washington, right? And the Democrat that ran against him in South Dakota, Brian Bangs, this year, the man's incredible. But everyone's like, oh, well, you can't vote for a Democrat in South Dakota. You're like, you know what? You can. And give us a couple more years and you'll be voting for this man. Because you're, you're a career politician. You're a creature of Washington. Those are the people we need to be done with. The people that are for democracy, for the people, for progress, for change, that's who we need to be supporting no matter what letter is beside their name. And I think right. the American people, you know, slowly but surely are going to get it. The problem is, is that the, the system is structured for us to not get it. That's the problem. Because Trump, in his terrible speech the other day, made the same play about the fact that he's not a politician and that what, you know, America is needs now. is not another. He is now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He's got form. But but he, he made that point. I'm not a politician. You know, I'm the alternative. And trying to basically push the same narrative that he did in 2016. You know, the record is now starting to sound a little tired. And yet... You know, the whole cast of characters will end up, I'm sure, will go through a period of a few weeks of, of confusion and Ron DeSantis will probably end up, you know, missing in some terrible schmelting accident. But but <laughs> Trump is going to end up, you know, still that kind of character that is to face whoever in 2024. Is Joe Biden the man to face him? I mean, is or, or you know, could there be somebody else? Could there be a female? Should it Should it be... The vice president taking the, you know, should Joe Biden step down in the last few weeks? I mean, is Biden at 82, as he will be in 2024, the right man to face Donald Trump? Yeah, I think the thing is, is that the speed in which our government is moving, the the craziness the country is trying to absorb. These are questions I'm not really that interested in answering at this moment, because I feel like you know, let's see what happens in a year. Like I said, I'm not even completely convinced the Republicans are going to hold that majority for the next two years. I think yeah. a bunch of them could be removed, you know. Um, we've also got that Senate runoff in Georgia with yes, Herschel that's, Walker. That's right. And we really is, need to win that. That's essential. It's essential. Because that takes the power away from Joe Manchin and and, and Kirsten Sinema and that kind of, but it also you know, makes they've, the had, they've had the controlling state. Yes. It, it takes away the power from any one Democratic senator that wants to work in their own benefit. But it also, people don't realize the difference between a 50-50 Senate and a 51-49 Senate. A 51-49 right. Senate means you don't have to split the committees equally. Right now, the committees have to be split equally. And so normal things that come through, like Joe Biden nominates, you know, the ambassador to Portugal and the ambassador mm. to Portugal goes to the you know, Senate and he's supposed to go to a committee and they go, yeah, he seems fine, approved. And he goes off to Portugal to do his job right now. What the Republicans do, because it's an even it's an even vote. They reject everything. Every ambassador, every nominee, every judicial nominee, anything the Senate is trying to get done in committee, they reject it. Because what happens is they have to take that person to the Senate floor for a full Senate vote. But, right. but they know they're not going to win in a full Senate vote because they know that they've got the Democrats have 50 plus one, the vice president. They're always going to win in a full Senate vote. So why are they doing it? It's like, what a waste of time, right? And that's exactly it. That's a waste of time. While everyone has to fly back to D.C. and the vice president can't go abroad and everyone has to be there to take this vote. Yes, the you know ambassador of Portugal, go. You know what I mean? Like while they're doing that, they're not passing laws. They're not in their states working around. They're not um, out in different states talking about democratic ideals. They are busy. It's, it's the equivalent of having 
uh, a meeting in your office when it could have been an email. It's just a total waste of time and they do it on purpose. If we get a 51st senator, all of those committees are Democratic majorities. So it could be, you know, nine to eight, you know, and the person goes off to Portugal. And that's going to save us so much time, so much money, and it will free up the vice president to do so many more things. People keep saying, where's Kamala Harris? I haven't seen her at all. It's because she's babysitting the freaking Senate. Yeah, Yeah, she has to babysit the Senate to be the 51st vote on every single thing that comes through. What a waste of time. So despite the fact that Herschel Walker has no business anywhere near the Senate, the man is a problem on about 75 different levels. And it's ironic that Raphael Warnock is actually a perfect candidate for Republicans to vote for. He's, you know, the, the, the man's a reverend and Christian. I mean, he's like, he, he's, he's absolutely bang on the money. The language that he speaks is something that, like, true Christian Americans would want to vote for, and yet they're going to go for the guy who's paying for abortions. I mean, it's And like, talking <laughs> about vampires and werewolves. And, you <laughs> yeah, know, I mean, werewolves, like, yeah. I mean, we're just, we're, we're well off on... on Another planet with that guy. But like, Would you rather be the werewolf or the vampire? I just thought uh, I'd I, I have to be a vampire. I mean, there's no yeah, question yeah. in my mind that Me I'm too. a vampire. Me I mean, too. I don't even yeah. know why we would even discuss it. Um, yeah. But it's honestly, it is, it is amazing to me the difference between 51-49 and 50-50. Yeah. And I think people have forgotten it. We could just have, it's the difference between working government and dysfunctional government. And people just should vote for that because it's not even like you're saying, oh, well, I have to vote because then Republicans get in power. They won't. Either way, Democrats are in power. So you may as well vote for an efficient government. And, uh, you know, the 24 election is going to be a tough one. So we can take every seat we need right now. Uh, We have to finish, but I just finally (laughs) want to say (laughs) that I am very grateful to you for your activism because it's people like you with your videos and Midas Touch with their videos that have definitely swung these midterm elections in the direction of of pro-democracy. And, you know, I think that really is, it's very important to recognize there are people up and down the country that are just doing their little bit. And you in front of your refrigerator um is essential you know it's it's essential and you know i also love the fact that the people who are often the most active aren't even from america you know it's like they just want the country to be its best love the country and it's like it's not criticism it is wanting to get the very best out of the u.s because it has so much to offer and it, it really could go back to being the greatest country in the world you know it's 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 so close it so is. thank you you're and, welcome. And thank and you thank for being you. here I mean, today. Thank you for doing what you do too. I mean, it's there's so much news, and it's so essential that we are able to break it down for people in a way that they can absorb it and go into the world with knowledge. Because knowledge is where everything starts. When you know something, then you can care about something, and when you care about something, that's when change can happen. Because you care to change it, and you know enough about it, and that starts with just plain old knowledge, which you give people every single day, which is astounding to me. I don't know how you do it. Um, but I believe in this country. I believe in the people. I believe America could be, as you said, the country that we want to be. And it's just going to take work. And people have to be like, okay, pull up my sleeves. Like, I got this, you know, because we do got this. But we just have to be ready for setbacks, ready for work, ready for effort one day at a time. Okay. Lee McGowan, thank you very much <laughs> once again. I'm Anthony Davis. Don't forget to subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast and also the 5-Minute News daily podcast, which drops every morning so you can listen while you make your coffee and leave an iTunes review. 
Join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on the 5-Minute News Weekend Show with Midas Touch. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.